We're almost at the finish line, but we can't complete our Greyhound racing discussion without first examining the Golden Girls' final spinoff, The Golden Palace. Marcus Allen. Mike Tyson. Extra innings. The tight end decoys, so it looks like we're running a draw play. Magic Johnson. Bobby Old. Tampa Bay Bucks. And they're off! The pig takes the lead! The chicken! As the Golden Girls aired the end of its sixth season, a decision needed to be made. The contracts for the four principal actresses were set to expire, and if the show was to continue, extensions would be needed. But the wild card was B. Arthur. Much like she had near the end of Maud, Arthur was feeling the itch to move on to other projects before the Golden Girls had worn out their welcome. This time, she had her eyes on the stage, either in America or abroad, and away from episodic television. One way in which the producers tried to soften the blow was to explore the idea of having a new roommate enter the house. That was essentially how late Hollywood legend Debbie Reynolds ended up playing Truby in season 6's There Goes the Bride Part 2, written by Mitchell Hurwitz. Writer-producer Mark Sotkin later admitted that Reynolds was the first, and last, Dorothy replacement prototype because everyone realized that the chemistry between the four original leads couldn't be replicated. For her part, Reynolds knew the producers might have been looking for a new co-star and felt some wariness on the set from the incumbents, but she very much enjoyed her short time on The Golden Girls and later said that, quote, the show was so wonderful and funny without me that although I would have loved to have stayed, I wasn't needed, end quote. Arthur ultimately decided to return for a seventh season, but everyone working on the show pretty much understood that it would most likely be their last. And so season seven ends with Dorothy marrying Blanche's Uncle Lucas and finally riding off into wedded bliss, which left the other three girls, including Dorothy's own mother, to fend for themselves. Naturally, the always honest Arthur was open about her decision to leave and made no apologies. I stayed with it for seven years, and I figured... It's time. It's time to leave while we're still we're still up there. I know a lot of people may have felt that uh, I I shouldn't have done it, but I figured I I've done it. I mean, why it's time to move on. It's time to move on. You can't top anything. Like I said earlier, why do a a, a reunion? It's meaningless. And apparently they tried to go it for another year, but it didn't work out. How did the rest of the ensemble react? How did what? The rest of the ensemble react when you decided to leave. I don't know. I I mean, because they were so supportive. I mean, we never... They never said, you miserable... You know, I mean, it was always... But I loved my last episode. Leslie Nielsen and I got married. Producers Paul Witt, Tony Thomas, and Susan Harris had a few other ideas, but when they called Betty White, Rue McClanahan, and Estelle Getty into their offices near the end of Season 7, they made their game plan perfectly clear. Blanche would sell the house and buy a hotel, and she, Rose, and Sophia would move in and run the place, along with a couple of new characters. White said that none of the other actresses thought about continuing on without Arthur, but McClanahan claimed she had made the case for the Golden Girls to get a new roommate to replace Dorothy. Either way, it didn't matter. The bosses had made the decision, and the Golden Palace was their next destination. 
The concept was meant to show that ladies of advanced age could live varied, dynamic working lives. Producer Paul Witt told interviewer Jim Colucci, quote, We wanted to show these women as still vital and active. So taking over a small hotel would put them in contact on a regular basis with interesting people and keep them active as they learn to do something different, end quote. In her book, Here We Go Again, My Life in Television, Betty White agreed, saying the shift into the business world was another way for the girls to be relatable. Quote, They had always faced life from the shelter and security of their home. Now, by leaving that familiar setting, these characters, whom the audience knew so well, would be forced to do what so many women these days are having to do in real life, meet the world as it comes through the front door and deal with it. End quote. The girls might have been moving, but they wouldn't be alone. Right from the beginning, it was determined that there would be a raft of special guest stars who would pop into the hotel from time to time. But Witt said that the focus of the show would remain on the girls we already knew and loved. Quote, We're not doing Love Boat in a hotel. This is not going to be guest stars each week filling the rooms. This is the Golden Girls in a new setting, in a new situation, the same characters in something that we see breathing new life into the series. End quote. The girls would also work alongside employees at the hotel as regular cast members. Playing hotel manager Roland Wilson was a 28-year-old actor originally from Kansas City named Don Cheadle. Though he was no stranger to audiences, having appeared in feature films like Moving Violations and Hamburger Hill, and on TV shows like Night Court and The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, Cheadle had yet to score a regular gig, and the Golden Palace provided just that. In the beginning, Roland had a foster son named Oliver that hung around the hotel, played by 12-year-old Billy L. Sullivan. Before the Golden Palace, Sullivan was in movies Light of Day, 1492 Conquest of Paradise, and in Goodfellas as Jimmy Conway's son. He also had a starring role in a very short-lived family sitcom, The Man in the Family, alongside Leah Remini and a post-wise guy Ray Sharkey. The final regular was a hotel chef who would butt heads with old-world home cook Sophia. Originally, the character was to be played by English alternative comedian Alexei Sale, who had been seen stateside on a show called The Young Ones, which aired on MTV in 1985. Sale was supposed to play Balowski, a hot-headed former doctor from Eastern Europe who's now stuck as a chef in a pastel hotel in Miami. The character never made it to air, and reports conflict on how much Sale actually filmed for the show. Some say he did two episodes, some say one, some say he was fired before the pilot was shot. According to IMDB, he was fired after two weeks and claimed, quote, those old ladies are horrible, end quote. There's also a story that he and the rest of the cast all received tomatoes straight from Rue McClanahan's backyard garden. While everybody else raved about them, Sale said he threw his out rather than keep them in his hotel room. Whether or not the tomatoes escalated his departure, we don't know. The producers were able to find a more than capable replacement for Sale in Richard Cheech Marin, who was still looking to shed the Latino stoner image that he had become hugely successful with alongside comedy partner Tommy Chong. When a sitcom pilot for Fox fell through, Cheech was disillusioned but still determined to find a new, more conventional direction for his career. He told the LA Times in 1992 that the chance to join the Golden Girls spinoff the idea of which probably would make high-as-hell Cheech and Chong fans giggle for days, was the start of a whole new era for him. Quote, I was about to get out of my contract with Fox, when the opportunity came to be in a very, very mainstream, down-the-middle-of-middle-America show, I jumped at it. End quote. And so Chef Bolowski became Chef Chewy Castillos, and the cast for the Golden Palace was set. 
but before the show could actually air, an unlikely bidding war broke out. NBC chief Warren Littlefield had given the show a 13-episode commitment. At some point, rival network CBS stepped up with a full 22-episode offer, hoping to make the show a part of a revamped Friday night lineup that would compete with ABC's TGIF slate. When Golden Palace producers went back to Littlefield asking him to up his offer, he balked, citing a drop in ratings during the final season of The Golden Girls as a reason to be wary that the spinoff would fly. Witt, Thomas, and Harris agreed to join CBS, which had agreed in turn to push the show and advertising as a separate entity than the original. Changing networks and nights was a shaky proposition. The amount of publicity the show got might have been less than what was agreed upon. Rue McClanahan would later say in her book that a lot of diehard Golden Girls fans wouldn't know the Golden Palace even existed until it ran its syndication 14 years later. Much of the writing staff and directors from the original show would come along for the spinoff. Golden Palace's broadcast pilot was written by series creator Susan Harris and directed by Terry Hughes, who had helmed the majority of the Golden Girls' first five seasons. Late season directors Lex Passaris and Peter D. Bate would handle every other episode. Writers Jim Valley, Mark Sotkin, Mark Cherry, Jamie Wooten, and Mitchell Hurwitz all would pen Golden Palace scripts along with some new writers. True to the producer's word, special guest stars were a veritable galaxy unto themselves over the Golden Palace. George Burns, Eddie Albert, Tim Conway, Harvey Corman, and Dick Van Patten all stopped by. Ned Beatty played Blanche's heretofore unknown older brother, Tad, who had been in a support home in Chattanooga this entire time. Making early TV appearances in their careers were Jack Black, Margaret Cho, and blue-collar comedian Bill Engvall, who played Blanche's heretofore unseen son, Matthew. Naturally, Golden Girls regulars Harold Gould and Herb Edelman also made appearances, as did B. Arthur brought Dorothy to a two-part episode that also showed us the inside of Shady Pines for the only time. Standout shows include the Dorothy reunions and the Tad episode, and another that could be slotted into very special episode territory, at least in the mind of one of its stars. And it's here that we'll pick up our dog racing thread again. New Leash on Life premiered on April 2nd, 1993 the 19th episode of The Golden Palace's first and only season. It was written by Marco Panette and directed by Lex Paceres. A rugged new man named Charlie, played by Dallas regular Ken Kerchival, checks into the hotel, and as Blanche gets to work hitting on him, Rose is more interested in his racing greyhound dog, Darling Flo. Shortly after, Rose finds out the disturbing truth about the lives of racing dogs. <laughs> Now, I know you'll do your best, but if by any chance you should lose, remember, there's always next time. And I'm afraid if she loses, there won't be a next time for this little girl. (laughs) What do you mean? Well, you only get so many chances when you're a racing dog. She doesn't come into the money today, I'll have to put her down. Well, I don't think insulting her is going to (laughs) help. You know, Mrs. Nyland, by putting a dog down, I mean putting her to sleep. What? But she's... Still so young and healthy. Well, that doesn't have anything to do with it. I mean, a greyhound loses three or four races, we don't really have a choice. Because you see, it's their winnings that pay for the kennel costs and the trainers and everything. Well, that still doesn't make it right. And I want nothing to do with it. While that's going on, Roland and Chewie literally come to blows over Chewie dating Roland's divorced mom, played by singer and Good Times regular Janet Dubois, and Sophia brushes up on her pricing skills hoping to get a chance to appear on The Price is Right. A veteran of the dog track, Sophia hopes to win some money on Darling Flo so that she can attend the taping. 
The next day at the track, Charlie finds Darling Flo has gone missing. And he did need Scooby-Doo to help him find the culprit. Blanche? Hey, did you find out who stole your doll? Yeah, I sure did. She's sitting right here. I have no idea what you're talking about. Oh, cut the dumb act. Believe me, it's no act. Look, now, don't deny it. You knew what had happened to that dog if it lost. And one of the trainers said they saw a blonde sneaking around the training room. Believe me, she's no blonde. <laughs> Charlie, now, look here. If Rose says she didn't take your dog, then she didn't take your dog, and I would bet my reputation on it. Oh, well, no big loss. <laughs> oh, look! It's Spot, the dieting fire dog. <laughs> Sorry about this. I had no idea. But you're not going to press charges, are you? No, no. I just want my dog back. Now, I know Miss Nyland thought she was doing what was best, but she just doesn't understand our sport. Oh, I understand your sport all too well. I made some calls, and frankly, I think your sport stinks. Rose! They kill these greyhounds, Blanche. According to the Humane Society, they kill 50,000 of them a year. What? What? If this dog loses two or three races, they consider it useless and they kill it. Now, wait a minute. Look, my friends and I, we take care of our dogs. They eat good, they get plenty of exercise, they lead a good life. Compared to what? And for how long? I just don't understand how people can keep letting this go on. I mean, something outlives its usefulness and, and you destroy it? Well, Sophia can't work as hard as she used to. And it, it costs money to feed and clothe it. Maybe it'd just be easier if we put her to sleep. Tell him, Rose. She is just trying to prove a point, isn't she? Well, I can see you're one of those people, so there's no sense in trying to get through to you. If by one of those people, you mean somebody who thinks killing 50,000 dogs a year is horrible? Well, yes, then, I guess I am. Look, uh, I've got Darlin' Flo no. entered in the second race tomorrow. Blanche, you want me to stop oh, by? Oh, no, thank you. I'm one of those people, too. Mrs. Petrello, what about you? I think she's got a good chance. Never. I don't want to be on the prices right that badly. Suit yourself. No, wait, Flo. Blanche. I know, I know, but honey, it's his dog. After the next race, it sounds like the end of the line for Flo. But Rose doesn't know the meaning of that phrase. Or many other phrases. How did darling Flo do? Uh, ran a good race. How did she do? Came in fifth. So, where is she now? Out in the van. Mr. Sardisco, I'd like to take her. What? You're going to have a dog running around the hotel? Oh, I only wish I could, but there's no room here for her to run or play. No, so what are you going to do with her? Well, I called around, and there's this National Greyhound Adoption Program. They help you find homes for retired greyhounds. So I'll just keep her till I find someone. If it were only that easy. Don't you see there just aren't enough homes to go around? That's why we have to put so many of them to sleep. Well, that's no solution. I mean, if you can't find homes for them, then maybe you people shouldn't breed so many puppies in the first place. And you should let other people know what wonderful pets these dogs make so we could find more homes. Do you understand? You take the dog. Okay. <laughs> oh, and one more thing. See what you can do about those rental binoculars at the track. Honestly, five bucks and all they do is make everything look smaller. <laughs> And so Rose gets to find Darling Flo a new home. Now she just needs to find a way to stop Sophia from stealing newspapers and disturbing the guests. Betty White specifically cited New Leash on Life in Here We Go Again as a meaningful Golden Palace experience for her. 
While noting the many changes the spin-off went through in those early formative days, the lifelong animal lover has fond memories of this particular episode. Quote, In the course of the comedy, we were able to get across the very serious message of how many of these fine dogs are destroyed each year when they don't win races, and to celebrate the people who work at finding good homes for them. Naturally, I would like that one, but I wasn't alone. We received more mail on that episode by far than any of the rest. Marco Panette, whose idea it was, did a good job of making his point in the script. End quote. Marco Panette started out looking for fame on Broadway, but when he sold the script for Kate and Alley in 1987, it began a long career in television. He went on to write episodes of Dear John, Dave's World, and another episode of Golden Palace before becoming a writer-producer on late 90s staple Caroline in the City and short-lived series Comrade Bloom and Union Square. He's also had big hits as a writer and showrunner on the first season of Ugly Betty and on Desperate Housewives, alongside former Golden Girls writer-producer Mark Cherry. Most recently, Panette has served as the executive producer of Kirsty Alley Vehicle Kirsty, and as a co-executive producer on CBS's Mom, where he's also scripted or gotten story credit on 44 episodes. According to the Morris Animal Foundation, new leash on life resulted in a spike in the amount of people looking for ways to adopt greyhounds. Despite being almost 30 years old, the arguments for and against dog racing in the episode continue almost unchanged to this day. Proponents of the sport will make the case that the welfare concerns are based on misconceptions, and that the dogs are treated humanely. Protesters will say that any amount of dogs being injured or killed in the service of a sport is too many, and that maybe it's the sport itself that needs to be put down. It's funny, and a little depressing, how long it took for the welfare of the dogs to get some attention in the world of dog racing. O.P. Smith created his tracks in the early 20th century to protect the lives of the hares that the dogs were chasing. During the 30s, 40s, and 50s, dogmen employed at the tracks periodically went on strike to fight for better working conditions and a larger cut of the betting action. But the dogs themselves didn't get much attention until the 1970s, when TV news show exposés began illuminating the perilous conditions and often fatal consequences the animals had to face. Intrepid reporters, such as a young Geraldo Rivera, would do stories on tracks keeping dogs in cages for long stretches of time, denying them food, and destroying them after their racing days had ended. Many of those practices are still in effect today, and are still the basis of investigative reports nearly every year. Dogs still race with muzzles on, although thankfully they don't have to carry actual monkeys on their backs like the old-time courses used to do as promotional stunts. The dogs can still be kept in cramped cages, sometimes for 20 hours a day. They're often fed substandard meat that is unsuitable for consumption and can suffer from illness and disease. Doping and steroids can also be an issue. In 2017, a Tampa area trainer had his license revoked after one of his dogs was found with cocaine in its system. Like any athletes, injuries are rampant among racing greyhounds, including broken legs, back injuries, heat stroke, and even head trauma. And if a dog is injured, or even if it isn't, once its racing career is deemed done, it faces the prospect of being put down. 50000 a year, as stated in the Golden Palace episode, sounds like a lot, but it's impossible to know exactly how many dogs have died in the service of the racing industry all time. In Texas, between 2008 and 2018, 119 racing dogs died, either due to injuries or after being euthanized. During the same time period in West Virginia, 
398 dogs were also lost. Florida only started keeping records in 2013, and between then and March of 2018, 448 dogs have officially died at tracks in various ways. Gray 2K USA, an organization dedicated to increasing regulations and eradicating the sport, reports that a racing greyhound dies every three days in Florida. In the late 90s, the Associated Press reported that almost 3,000 former racing dogs were sent to the Colorado State Veterinary School to be used for teaching purposes. That program was shut down, but other labs have acquired dogs for experiments or research. One owner who vowed to give them up for adoption sold them to a cardiac research lab instead. Believe it or not, some trainers have been busted for still practicing with live lures, like hares, possums, and other rodents, which is illegal. The horror stories can go on for days. After decades of efforts to change things, time may finally be running out for greyhound racing. But ending an entire industry, even one that's dwindled to a fraction of its once nationwide popularity, was never going to be easy. This November, a ballot measure was to go up for public vote that was advertised to potentially outlaw the sport in Florida by 2020. Striking down the law in Florida, which is its epicenter, would be seen as a death blow to the entire sport. Recently, a judge ordered the measure taken off the docket, citing misleading language and unclear purposes. Aside from the usual political lobbying and red tape, is a Florida law that has tied dog racing to table card games since 1997. Tracks make money on their card rooms. Unfortunately, to operate them, they also need to have dog racing, high lie, horse racing, or other paramutual betting. Without one, the other would be shut down. Ironically, there are track operators that would love to end the racing and just operate as card rooms full-time. It's common to see the stands for races be almost empty, while the card rooms be packed. But until the law is repealed or changed, they're stuck together. Still, there is a betting public in those stands who don't want to lose what, to them, has been a long-standing way of life, especially in Florida. Naturally, owners, operators, and trainers will want to keep the races running to protect their livelihoods. The Florida Greyhound Association is still trying to bring in new customers by touting the sport's speed and excitement. Proponents everywhere will say that the conditions aren't nearly as bad as groups like Grey2K USA or journalists make them out to be. The industry's go-to defense is that the dogs run because they love to and are bred for competition. The other way for dogs to escape the racing game is adoption. The movement really didn't get started until the 1970s. Later, groups like the Greyhound Pets of America and the National Greyhound Adoption Program have helped thousands of dogs find welcoming homes. Sonia Straitman, a dog advocate and founder of Elite Greyhound Adoptions, has personally helped over 2,000 dogs be adopted just by herself. But even this avenue has its dark side for the dogs. Straitman says that greyhounds have arrived at her door with infections and injuries, some horrific or catastrophic. Some have had to be rescued themselves from labs where they would be used as blood donors. While the racing industry loves touting adoption as an easy retirement for former racers, the fact is the practices haven't changed all that much, which is why folks like Straitman, Grey2K USA, and the National Greyhound Adoption Program's David Wolf continue to push for the outright elimination of the sport forever. I'm not enough of an expert to know, but it sure sounds like dog racing is from a bygone era. Grey2K USA's Carrie Thiel calls it, quote, a depression-era relic that happens to still exist today, end quote. 
even the owners and trainers and bettors seem to want to keep it going out of habit and history more than anything else. All I know is seeing pictures of these dogs is often heartbreaking. And although they may love to race, it's not like the dogs are knocking on the track doors begging to suit up. It's up to us to help them. As part of CBS's Friday Night Block with Major Dad, Designing Women, and New Heart follow-up Bob, the initial ratings for the Golden Palace were good. The new show won its time slot in those first few weeks, and it seemed like things were going to work out. But viewership decreased not just for the Golden Palace, but for CBS's entire slate. Despite being made by the people who had all worked on a very successful parent series, the Golden Palace needed to find its legs just like any other new show. Paul Witt would later say, quote, With a little more time, I think we could have gotten the Golden Palace to be very good, but we didn't get there. The show would finish 57th in the Nielsen ratings for 1992-93, placing its future in doubt. Paul Witt and Tony Thomas were told that renewal was, according to Betty White, quote, something like 96% assured. While in Vienna performing the play Lettuce and Lovage, Rue McClanahan was told by her agent that the show had been picked up for a second season and to expect an official announcement in a few days. Then, the night before the announcement was to be made, the show was canceled along with the rest of CBS's Friday Night Block. Watching an episode of The Golden Palace after being so familiar with its predecessor, it's hard not to notice the differences. The biggest was the B. Arthur-sized hole in the show that's evident from almost every conversation. It's obvious that the dynamic between the three ladies is missing that extra edge that Dorothy brought with it. As for the new guys, Cheadle's Roland is very much the show's straight man but the intense actor still brought that sarcastic humor and fierce intelligence that he brings to every role. And Cheech is Cheech, one of those guys who can make you laugh just by looking at you. Sadly for the kid Oliver, he got cocoed after a few episodes when it was clear there just wasn't enough for him to do. The ghost of Houseboy's past continued to haunt the Golden Girls even after they left their house. The spinoff isn't a bad show at all. It's just not the Golden Girls. Despite its short life, it's clear that the Golden Palace meant, and still means, different things to different people. In an interview on B. Arthur's Lifetime Intimate Portrait, Paul Witt agreed with her decision to walk away in hindsight. I think we were all just tired, and um, I wish we had all had these good sense um, to go out on top gracefully uh, and not listen to... Uh, the needs of other people whose motives might not have have been as pure. Witt's producing partner Tony Thomas admits that the show seemed like a good idea at the time, but in retrospect was misguided. It was a little mercenary of us in in, in hindsight. Uh, But, you know, we had such... B didn't want to do anymore, and we respected that, but we had such... uh, uh, interest from CBS and we had, you know, three of the four. Uh, so the, the notion in the beginning seemed like a very good idea that uh, uh, these ladies would go run a hotel, you know, get uh, put together a small hotel in Miami uh, with the help of uh, the other characters. Uh, seemed like a way we could keep the story alive because we could play off the guests we could play off the kitchen staff. We could play off the front desk staff. We could. It, it seemed we, I, you know, I, uh, it, it seemed like maybe we could do this, but the, you know, the pixie dust wasn't there. It, it was certainly missing B, 
but it was also uh, the magic of the writing. Uh, you know, listen, we had Don Cheadle, one of the greatest actors in the world, who also knows how to be funny, and we squandered him. We squandered his talents. Uh, and, and Cheech Marin, who can certainly tell a joke. Uh, and it just, you know, sometimes it doesn't work. You know, it can all look good on paper, and it doesn't work, and that didn't work. Thomas also told Vulture.com in 2017 that the show was born from reasons that had more to do with obligation than anything. Quote, We definitely had mixed feelings about doing it, but what we felt more than anything was a responsibility to the crew and staff. We had been employing a lot of people, so to just pull the plug would have meant ending something that provided a very satisfying life for a lot of people. It would be unfair to say it was against our better judgment to do the spinoff because all of those concerns influenced our decision to do Golden Palace. End quote. Meanwhile, in that same interview, Susan Harris didn't even remember writing the pilot for Golden Palace. For Mark Cherry, once the original formula had been messed with, the whole experiment fell apart. Quote, the truth of the matter is that, in any TV show, there's a recipe that happens. And with B leaving, the chemistry was gone. Susan Harris gave it a shot, but ultimately, I don't think it worked. In retrospect, it might have been better to let B's character get married and then replace her than come up with a whole new show. End quote. As for the scripts themselves, Mitchell Hurwitz felt that the characters were a departure from the relatable ones we were already familiar with. Quote, People really related to the Golden Girls. The husband leaves, which was something a lot of women had gone through in that generation. But with the Golden Palace, now we're asking the audience to relate to having to run and manage a hotel and clean the rooms yourself. End quote. Golden Girls writer Gail Parent was pretty dismissive of the whole enterprise in this interview with METV Legends. Um, B. Arthur didn't want to do it anymore. And so it, they weren't going to do it without her. And then they did that, oh, that horrible, what was it? I don't even remember what it was called. It was like Golden Palace. Golden Palace. You know, it was nobody's fault. But it just didn't work. I mean, you know, again, you know, sometimes the sequel just doesn't work. Betty White felt that the scripts went through too many rewrites throughout the week, and that eventually the original concept for The Golden Palace went off the rails as the season wore on. Quote, What had caught our interest originally, the idea that these three women were trying to compete in and cope with today's world as it was happening just outside the lobby doors, somehow got lost in the shuffle. In desperation, one or another of us would be given a funny run of dialogue, not necessarily connected to the storyline, and it would be like doing Golden Girls in the lobby. There were some good shows mixed in, but not enough. End quote. Rue McClanahan felt disconnected with the Blanche Devereaux she had created over the previous seven seasons, thanks to the necessary changes they had to make in the character. Here she is talking to METV legends. And so we gave it a good old college try, but it wasn't the right thing to do. And why is that? Because it took the center out of the characters as they had been established, particularly Blanche. Well, how did she change? Well, she had to become a businesswoman. She had to run a hotel, and she didn't know how to do that. How'd she learn how to do that? Where'd that come from? I mean, they didn't do it very well, but, you know... It just doesn't seem right somehow. And it, uh, I believe it often put her at odds with some of the other staff, so it almost made her kind of a antagonist and hard-ass in some of these stories as opposed to the 
the carefree, love-seeking woman we knew her as. Yeah, I found it very hard to find the way to play that. Of the three lead actresses, only Estelle Getty might have felt more at ease on the set of The Golden Palace rather than on The Golden Girls. Rue McClanahan once said that Getty seemed to have more fun making that spinoff. She didn't require cue cards to remember her lines as she did on the original, and that the weight of the crippling anxiety she suffered seemed to have finally be lifted from her. Quote, Had she been subconsciously intimidated by B? Who could do that to some actors? Or was it a remission of that damned dementia that had played such havoc in her mind? Impossible to say. End quote. Ironically, one of the other character changes was in transforming Sophia from an unflagging firecracker to a forgetful, easily distracted oldster. Maybe at that time, Getty found that version of the character more relatable to what she was going through personally. With the Golden Palace closed, the cast was left to scatter to the winds. For Betty White, the next trip was a short one. She joined Bob Newhart in the cast of Bob, the only one of the CBS Friday night shows to survive into the 1993-94 season. The show was completely revamped with an all-new cast for its second season, but it only lasted for five more episodes before it was unceremoniously canceled, too. Rue McClanahan was offered a role on the Valerie Bertinelli sitcom Café Americaine, but turned down the lucrative salary offer to work on other projects. She did an episode of Boy Meets World and a couple of TV movies in 1993, including starring in a production of the musical Nonsense that aired on A&E. And Estelle Getty returned to Wit Thomas Harris World and to Shady Pines by joining the Weston family on Empty Nest full-time for that show's final two seasons. The show's cancellation meant Don Cheadle's first regular gig was over, but he soon had another one on CBS dramedy Picket Fences, in which he played D.A. John Littleton for 33 episodes. That led to the title role in the HBO film Rebound, the story of Earl the Goat Manigo, and eventually parts in high-profile indie films Boogie Nights and Out of Sight. These days, Cheadle is an Oscar nominee, a multiple Emmy nominee, and a two-time Golden Globe winner. And since 2010, when he replaced Terrence Howard in the role for Iron Man 2, he can be seen everywhere as Colonel James Rhodes, a.k.a. War Machine, in the unstoppable Marvel Cinematic Universe. Cheech Marin's quest to go mainstream got a huge boost a year after the Golden Palace ended, when he co-starred as one of Scar's hyena pack in Disney's The Lion King. Between regular roles, cameos, and voiceover work, he's even more ubiquitous now than he was when he was starring in Cheech and Chong movies. After a few one-off appearances together, the two legends officially reunited for the Light Up America comedy tour in 2008. The show might not have gelled, but the cast of The Golden Palace always has high praise for one another. Cheech had always wanted to work with Betty White, and called her a wonderful co-star. He and Rue McClanahan also became good friends. Cheadle drew raves from the cast and crew, even though at that time he was, as McClanahan put it, quote, striving for a serious film career. New guys Cheech and Cheadle became friends on the set and remain so to this day. In an interview with the AV Club in 2008, Cheech said that he and Cheadle working with the Golden Girls was, quote, like being the Afro-Cuban rhythm section of the Lawrence Welk Band, end quote. For both of them, the Golden Palace seems like a pillowy soft oasis in a credits list full of hard edges. Cheadle has fond memories of his time on the show, calling the three lead actresses, quote, just cool people. When asked which was more fun to work on, Golden Palace or Boogie Nights, Cheadle said comparing the two was surprisingly apt. Quote, well, I was on copious drugs on both of those projects, so I can't really answer. 
I would say that one felt like things were going really, really fast, and the other felt like things were going really, really slow. But I don't remember which is which. End quote. In an interview with CBS this morning in 2012, to promote his show House of Lies, Cheadle had to politely explain the Golden Palace to anchor Gail King, who apparently had never heard of it. I started on TV. I was on yeah. a CBS show, you know, I was on picket fences for years, so... I don't have anything about it. To me, it's where the material is, is the no. most important. Don, I heard that your first break was on Golden Girls as a hotel clerk. Is that true? Golden Palace, please. Golden, uh, no, Golden no, Palace. The difference in Golden Palace <laughs> Thank and you, Golden Charlie, Girls. I know, correct. Charlie, but the copy said Golden Girls, and I'm thinking, no. I watch Golden Girls. I don't remember Golden you on Girls Golden are, Girls. No, I was not on Golden okay, Girls. Okay, okay. I was Golden on pa Golden Palace, yeah. though. Did you play a hotel clerk? I did. Okay. I did. Uh, and Cheech Marin played uh, the, the cook on there and the chef on there. That's where I met Cheech, and it was uh, Estelle... Getty was still there, and, and um, Betty White. So and it was Ruben sort of a spin-off then. It was a spin-off. Oh, so it's yeah. not totally so, off the so mark. It, not totally off <clears> the <throat> mark. Okay, okay. Come on, Gail King. Seriously? Maybe she's one of those fans that Rue McClanahan talked about who missed the show's entire existence. The Golden Palace didn't seep into the public consciousness the way the Golden Girls did, and continues to do today. Aside from a brief stint on Lifetime, where it aired as a de facto eighth season of The Golden Girls, the spinoff hasn't been seen all that much in syndication or reruns. It's not out on DVD or on any streaming service, so if you want to watch an episode, you're stuck with some janky uploads on YouTube. But it's something all Golden Girls fans should check out, if only for the curiosity factor. It's like looking live into an alternate universe, where everything is almost the same as you know, only slightly off. The theme song is the same, but different. The characters are the same, but different. Cheech is the same, but he's also different and War Machine is fighting hotel guests instead of supervillains. It's a weird rock. Take it and see for yourself. It might make you even more thankful for having the Golden Girls as we know them. So I am about to post the final episode of Golden Girls Sports. And after scripting out 33 episodes plus two mini-sodes uh, to the tune of 152,000 words with links, give or take, something like that, uh, I felt like it was probably best if I just talk off the top of my head and wrap things up a little bit uh, at the end of this uh, somewhat long, but I, I think pretty good final episode. Um, I am relieved that the project is over. It was a lot of work uh, over the course of the last year, a lot more than I thought it was going to be, to be quite honest. Um, but that being said, uh, I'm going to miss it a little bit. I mean, I had gotten into the rhythm of writing it at night, watching the episodes, uh, sometimes with my wife, sometimes just by myself, and uh, and kind of taking in all the information I could and scouring the internet and trying to find, you know, some trivia and things that I could go on and on about. Um, and uh, it, it was fun. I, I learned a lot. I, I know everybody says that when they do a podcast series, but I really did. I learned a lot of stuff, and my head is full of Golden Girls trivia now. This was focused on the sports jokes, so... Um, there's a lot of Golden Girl stuff that I didn't get to. Uh, one of those was Burt Reynolds. Uh, the episode, uh, season two episode, uh, Ladies of the Evening is my favorite episode of all time. It's There isn't a single bad joke in the entire thing. It's hilariously funny from beginning to end, and it ends on a stunt casting gag that actually works. A lot of stunt casting is kind of stupid, but to have Burt Reynolds show up 
was a, a, evidently a, a really huge coup for the Golden Girls, even at that time. And he's just funny. And it's just funny that he's there. And, of course, he's there to pick up Sophia. <laughs> and the girls are all beside themselves. Um, I had contemplated doing an episode on Burt Reynolds because in his you know earlier life, before he became an actor, uh, he was a huge football star at, at Florida State until a knee injury kind of forced him to leave the school and, and take up acting. Um, I was going to do an episode with about him and Ken Howard, the guy who played Blanche's boyfriend in the episode The Commitments, who is better known and will forever be known uh, as the coach on The White Shadow. So I thought it would be fun to do an episode on those two guys, but as it turned out, I didn't need it because I ended up having way more episodes than I thought I was going to have. But I think I ended, I ended up on 33 episodes, which I think is a good sports number. You know, a lot, a lot of famous 33s out there, Patrick Ewing, Larry Bird, Patrick Waugh, I don't know, Larry Walker, lots and lots of good 33s out there. So it's a good sports number. So I feel like it was the right spot to be on. But I did miss a lot of stuff. And now, unfortunately, with Burt Reynolds having passed, I wouldn't get to do that episode. But um, other than that, I don't have too many regrets about how the thing turned out. Um, I think it turned out pretty much how I expected it to turn out. You know, like I said in the very first episode, my, my uh, I guess, guide on this was You Must Remember This, which is one of the great podcasts out there my favorite podcast out there. And it's just so well done and so wonderful and so perfect that I kind of tried to replicate that. I don't think I got there, but I got pretty close, I think, especially just doing it all by myself. Uh, while I was doing the Golden Girls podcast, I, I like I said, I also write for Lighthouse Hockey, SB Nation's Islander site. And over the last two years, I've been doing what uh, came to be known as the John Tavares Free Agency Encyclopedia. That turned into a three-volume, 96,000-word opus uh, about every article or podcast or video or whatever, tweet, who knows, uh, related to the free agency of Islanders Captain John Tavares. And I didn't think it was going to be that big a deal. And it turned out to consume my life for two years. Uh, and then he left. The son of a bitch left. <laughs> so my uh, my sports feelings have changed a lot. Uh, and so I'm not uh, – this year I'm t- definitely treading lightly and getting back into the Islanders. But uh, – but I wrote that concurrently with, with Golden Girls Sports, and so I was kind of wrapped up in both of those projects, and they both basically turned out to be book-length projects. And my advice, if you're looking to write a book, you should absolutely go ahead and do it, but only do one at a time. Don't do two at a time because it's a lot of work, and you will regret it because it consumes your life. The idea for this show came from me wanting to illuminate the sports jokes in a place where I think a lot of people didn't realize were sports jokes. I think there's a lot of people out there that still don't understand what the Golden Girls is exactly. That was true 30 years ago when people opened up TV Guide and were like, why would I want to watch a show about old people? Uh, As it is today, where people are like, that's a show for old people. Why would I want to watch it? The Golden Girls is not a show for old people. It is a show for everybody. It is a show about life. It's a show about these four women who are all past the age in which Hollywood normally deems actresses, especially uh, acceptable, having these incredibly full, rich, relatable lives and problems and dealing with it with a lot of heart. And on top of that, some of the most savage put downs and ribald balls out humor that anybody's ever had. Um, I find a lot of shows today that, claim to be edgy, really tedious and boring. I got to be honest. But the stuff they got away with on the Golden Girls 30 years ago is amazing to me every single time. They're just funny. And it's done in such a way because the actresses were so good. 
that it never comes off as mean-spirited. It's just sharp. Uh, again, I don't know how they got away with it uh, 30 years ago from the censors, but I'm glad they did because uh, it will live on forever, and it's timeless. It is a timeless, timeless show. All right, I think it's time to, for me to wrap it up. Uh, thank you so much again for listening. I really appreciate it. The episodes aren't going anywhere. Uh, there won't be any new ones, but they aren't going anywhere. They're still going to be up. So if you do know somebody that you think might enjoy it, please spread the word and, and uh, have them listen to it. Uh, I don't know how you found it. I don't know how anybody found it. I mean, we have my Twitter feed has like 33 followers. I thank you all for following. Uh, you know, we don't have a Facebook page because I'm not into Facebook. Facebook is evil. I've always thought that. Um, and, you know, the website is up and, and we get a little bit of traffic. But however you found it, I really appreciate it. I'm glad you listened. Uh, maybe you know me personally and, and you listen to it. And either way, thank you again for listening. Again, I can't say that enough. Uh, and uh, hopefully I'll see you again uh, on another project. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you very much.